TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Stories of that game and what happened in the clubhouse is just fantastic. There's no game that can bleep you like this one. <laughs> it's Roycey on baseball. Let's go here. With the new uh, baseball podcast, we'll be running this on uh, Tuesdays during the uh, baseball season. I think it's going to be peering on the. It's going to be on the air from six to seven, right? Tuesdays, in addition uh, every to every Tuesday, uh, yeah, uh, available uh, with our uh, podcast center. And uh, of course, we got to uh, go right immediately to topic A on the local baseball scene. Williams Ostadio. It Your is guy. the weekly Williams Ostadio report. He's everybody's guy. <laughs> you know he's what? The best. You know what? I think he's shorter than he was last year. I think he's shrunk an inch <laughs> and he's lost a little weight, which concerns mm. me. Yeah. We don't want him losing much we weight. We don't want to lose too much because that'll take a little bit of fun out of it. Yes. Uh, but of course, on Sunday. He had the temerity. He played his first game of the year. He had two rockets, one on the uh, first pitch, one on the second pitch. First pitch he saw Double, of the season. Doubles, mm-hmm. screaming double, past the center fielder who couldn't get there. And the next one, uh, short, hop, uh, short hopped the uh, bullpen fence and hopped in, so that cost him an RBI. And uh, But after uh, the, his first game of the year his slugging percentage remained at 2000 he had uh, <laughs> he had four total bases in two uh, plate appearances then he drew and then he hit a sacrifice fly and uh, they must have been relying at Leonis Martin must uh, Martin excuse me must have a terrible arm because uh, it was kind of shallow but they sent the runner and it was no contest and then he got drilled and there's no doubt they that it was on purpose uh, Bieber, the Bieber kid, uh, who uh, Sean, right? Sean is it? Sean? I'm not is sure. It Sean Bieber. It's uh, it's not Justin. I know that. <laughs> and uh, who, who walked two guys or hit two guys in 140 innings last year? Drilled uh, drilled uh, Willens for no apparent reason. And uh, from what I understand, the uh, there was a little anger in the clubhouse about this, including by. Uh, Willens himself, but when by the time we got in there, he was uh, shrugging it off as you knew he would. The question becomes, and I don't know how I find the answer to this, because at this point, uh, Willens is not in a situation, Manny, to to want to go through an in depth uh, interview through an interpreter. You mm-hmm. know, I think if you could talk to him in Spanish, you could really get some insight, but I want to know. I think he got signed at 16 or 17, mm-hmm. and he spent eight or nine years in the minor leagues without really getting a sniff. And and now from what we've seen since last August, basically, the way he swings a the bat, then you see what he did in Venezuela two winners in a row. He was the runner-up MVP down there to our guy Delman, mm-hmm. who I don't know if he got a job or not. But uh, had a fantastic season. Played left field all year down there. Never caught. But he's pretty good behind the plate. Throws okay. They have no the pitchers have no problem working with him, and he can hit. And yet, never got a sniff until the yeah. 
And the Twins brought him to spring training last year. They brought him in as a six-year minor league free agent. And they signed catchers willy-nilly because they need more catchers in the spring training. So they usually sign like four of them right? and bring them in. And, of course, he had visa problems, so he was the last guy to report. And we never really saw him in spring training. He got in a couple of games. Went down to uh, Rochester, played real, you know, hit, did okay. And he got called up when all those guys got hurt. He, he debuted as a center fielder with the in <laughs> Chicago that day. It was 100 degrees and everybody was, that Wrigley, right? was uh, you know, tipping over. And you thought, well, yeah, this is fun. He'll be around for a week or so. And uh, <laughs> he made a club. They knew. You know, I wasn't 100% sure he was going to make the club, Manny. But uh, they knew by the middle of March he was staying. Uh, the, they liked him that much. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that. He can be uh, uh, give you another catcher, but he can also play third, go out and play left field, DH some, and I, th- you know, traditionally in baseball for the you know fifty five fifty nine years since the Twins came here, you wanted the guy on the bench who was could come up and hit a three run homer for you, right? Mm-hmm. That's they always want. If you you know, of course, there's fewer of those bench players now, but they're used. Everybody used to always have. The 15th man used to always be Elmer Vallow or somebody who could come <laughs> up and hit a home run. Yeah, I think there's a new appreciation for a guy that, okay, I'm going to put him up with a guy on second and two runs down in the ninth. He might not hit a home run, but he's got a chance to get a hit mm-hmm. and keep me alive. Might hit a and, double. And I think they like a contact guy, uh, you know, playing, uh, being on the bench, who's going to go up there and swing. And you know, got a fighting chance to get a hit. He would. Well, I think he hit three sixty five last year at a brief time he played with him. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it I seems... mean, there's been no indication that he can't hit. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like we we have gone with him now from this being just sort of this fun. You know, oh, he's yeah. kind of funny, and we had the bit last year. He was running around the bases, mm-hmm. and the helmet came yeah, off, and yeah. it turned into a a gif on the internet and everything. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, this guy's a good baseball player. Yeah, He's a good ball player And now. you know, uh, I was talking to Judd the other day, you know what it means to him. He played 60 games in Venezuela mm-hmm. over the winter. He, went, he left here and he went back home in the most dangerous country in the world and played 60 games. And once his team got beat in the playoffs... He got drafted, and he was on the team that ended up winning the Venezuela. You know, I think I think they got a situation where you can take two or three players off another team of pitchers and catchers. And anyway, he was playing. He played in the finals there, and this year he he once again had visa problems, but this time they only lasted two days. Yeah. So, and getting out of Venezuela is it used to just be an excuse for guys who played all winter. Not to, you know, they say, well, they got visa problems and they take an extra week off before t- spring training. But in his case, when, and the political situation between the U.S. and Venezuela right now, I'm sure there are visa problems. But, yeah, he's uh, become more than a, a caricature. He's become, uh, you know, he's a ball player. He can hit and, he, you know, he can score from second on a single. You don't have to mm-hmm. stop him. And, you know, he, he's in spring training, he also uh, scored from... Uh, uh, first on a double to left, he had a replay of the of the p- ball that he you know that made him famous basically. <laughs> yeah. 
But it's uh, it. I, I think one thing that held him back was as he was progressing, we were into the on base era, right? Yeah, you needed the on base percentage, and the guy that didn't well, he got to go up and draw walks. Doesn't get any and... walks. Well, he's not going to draw walks. And I think <laughs> if he tried to draw walks, he'd be in trouble. His theory is. If he takes three swings, he's got a better chance to get a hit. You know, if he mm-hmm. and, and just swing the bat instead of if you, if, if you take three hit. You know, Joe Bauer could take one swing and get a hit, but this kid thinks uh, this guy thinks he's going to be swinging the bat. So it's it's just amazing. I'm looking at you know. I always love going back to his. I've done this a million times, but I always love going back to his minor league stats. Oh, they're and incredible. Nine seasons in the minors. You know, various different levels and everything. Hit three oh six. And in 2,461 plate appearances, he walked 85 times. How many times did he strike out? Probably about 100. 81. 81. And <laughs> 2,400 plate my appearances. favorite year is the year that he had more hit bat hit by pitches than either strikeouts or walks. He had 13 <laughs> hit by pitches one year, and it was 10 and 8, but I'm not sure which was the 10 and which was the 8. But yeah, one he year had, in Jacksonville, I think it was. He yeah, was, I think it was 20... Looks like 2015. 2015. He was playing for Clearwater. Clearwater, okay. And he got See, hit he was by still a in pitch. the Florida State League then. Yeah. Yeah, he got hit by a pitch 13 times that year. And he struck out 10 times and he walked, walked and he walked 10 times. Oh, walked eight. Okay. 10 so, and 10. So he got hit by a pitch more than either of the other two things. Yeah. Yeah. When he. Uh, it's amazing. You know, when he strikes out, they should give a free beer away or gets a walk or, or some dang thing. But uh, he got the biggest ovation of everybody that got introduced. Got a bigger ovation than the new manager did. That's amazing. Got a bigger ovation than, you know, Barrios got a pretty good one, when he, you know, being introduced out in the, out in the, uh, and, you know, got a big uh, ovation, Buxton. It was really? almost like, okay, you know, you, they should have called you up. You should have been here last year. I don't know. It was kind of, or it was encouragement or something mm-hmm. on opening day. But uh, that was, uh, that was uh, you know, interesting. But boy, oh boy. Oh, Cruz got a big reception. Too. Yeah. Yeah, Cruz got a pretty big reception. Boy, can he too. hit, man. He can. He's, uh, well, I told you that uh, Verducci uh, did a thing last year. During the uh, once the season was over and it was kind of the free agent signing period in November, yeah, and he did a real good breakdown of uh, how uh, Cruz has maintained his bat speed, you know, and how fundamentally sound he is. Mm-hmm. Interesting cat, you know. He didn't he he had three at bats in the first game of spring training, and then he, we didn't basically see him for see ten him. days. He was yeah. over in the back doing his thing. And uh, the only thing I, you know, the best scouting report I heard on him over there was from Ron Gardenhire when he was here with Detroit, told me Toby, his son, who was on the backfields mm-hmm. uh, and is the Fort Myers manager this year, said, the guy's a monster. <laughs> so uh, that was a pretty good, uh, that was a pretty good uh, scouting report uh, on, on Cruz, but uh yeah, Willie is uh, the, the. It's uh, it's hard not to like him. I'll tell you that, and he throws pretty good. It's just as he, you know, sometimes they just make up their mind on these guys, and it boy, it takes yeah. you a long time to change their mind. Yeah, and it's I, I love the way this roster. You know, the pitching the pitching had a good weekend and everything, and it was against a punchless Cleveland lineup and everything, and that's fine, but. 
I do love the lineup and the versatility that they have with so many different guys. And you know, Williams probably his main position is probably a catcher. But yes. you know, if you need to need him to play a third base once in a while, sure. you could maybe get away with him a game or two of him playing at third and different spots. And I mean, Gonzalez. I mean, considering where. Miguel is right yeah. now. I mean, how good a signing yeah, Miguel's going to have to be uh, – Miguel's going to probably be middle of May before he starts playing, and he's going to have to spend two weeks at Rochester probably. I hope he stays yeah. in shape. I haven't seen him. I hope he stays in shape because he was in really good shape. Yeah. It would be a shame if he uh, if he actually did the work in the winter and then just had another lost season. And, you know, emotionally with him, I don't know. I don't know how. I mean, wasn't yeah. – he, uh, you know, as optimistic as they were, by the way, he was wa- working out, they're just as upset with him that he he's walking around with those stitches out of his foot and didn't get on a plane and come to Fort Myers like they asked him to and take a look at the cut right away. Because mm-hmm. he, right in the back of the heel where there's no skin, basically, and they put 12 stitches in there, and by the time he got to Fort Myers, there was no stitches left, and it was just a great big gash. Wow. Somebody told me it looked like a... Uh, so you think like the stitches just like... Yeah, well, they just, just pulled out because there mm-hmm. was it was, you know, you're not you don't have a lot of meat. There's not a thick thickness. It's right behind the heel. Not a lot basically. of cushion, yeah, yeah, right behind the Achilles, and uh, yeah, there was nowhere to stitch it, and they Oof. stitched it. But it was somebody told me that he saw it said it looked like a dog bite. You mm. know, it looked like a you know, and not a and not a not a little tiny dog, <laughs> you know. <laughs> A pit bull or something. Bull or it looked like a terrible bull. Yeah. But anyway. All right. Hey, this is Ricey on Baseball. We're going to have a good time, Manny and I, on uh, Tuesdays. Uh, Buster Olney will be coming up here in a moment. We Buster Olney is with us. Uh, you were in Philadelphia this week to see the Harper uh, festivities. And uh, I'll say one thing. For all the rumors that uh, he wasn't sure he wanted to go to Philadelphia, he has definitely played it right, hasn't he, by uh, embracing those Philadelphia people? Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, it's funny now when you look back at all the reporting was done in that yes. vacuum as we were waiting. Uh, but Bryce Harper's gone there, and, and I've never seen an athlete put more work into ingratiating himself to the fans in the way that he has. In fact, I'd Tell any you know high-profile free agent in any sport. Look, if you're gonna if you're gonna move to a new city, call Bryce Harper and ask how he did <laughs> because of all the stuff he's doing. You know, with a Philly fanatic on his shoes, announcing on the first day he's not going to wear number 34 because that was Roy Halladay's number. Wow. The Instagram post when uh, you know he, he in which he writes that you know he longs to be like Bobby Clark, of course the Boston <laughs> Bullies, uh, and Chase Utley and, and Nick Foley. You know, having celebrating and partying in Philadelphia, the, the the bow to the crowd going out, and the practical impact, I don't think is anything that I thought possible in baseball. Um, you know, maybe in the NBA where, you know, a guy like LeBron moves from one team to another, you see huge jumps in attendance. I mean, think about this. The, the Phillies drew $2.2 million last year. They had three straight sellouts over the weekend, even though it was about 30 degrees by the end of that game on Sunday night. Uh, and they're thinking they may be able to draw 3.5 to 3.6 million in Bryce's first year with the team. It really is remarkable. What did I see on the graphic last night? They sold 100,000 tickets the first day, and it's like 350 to 400,000 now after whatever it is, 10 days or two weeks or whatever it is. It, it's crazy. Um, that's exactly right. I mean, they 
it, it's absolutely gone through the roof. When I was uh, in the, the Phillies spring training camp at the end, of, then I, I asked, uh, you know, how did it affect your sales here uh, down in Clearwater in spring training? And I was told basically as soon as Bryce signed, they, they pretty much sold out the rest of spring training. Um, and John Middleton, who owns the Phillies, um, you know, went on radio in Philadelphia and, and he said that, you know, he thought partly the response of the fans was responsible for the decision they made to pursue Bryce um, and go hard after him instead of uh, instead of Manny Machado because he was hearing clearly from fans they preferred Harper and uh, they certainly have followed up with that with their interest in the team. What uh, what what do you think it is beyond you know he's not coming off the greatest year of all time but he's coming from right next door he's coming from a rival. And is it what? What do you think the the bottom line is? He's a high profile player, but even before they saw his reaction, they were going crazy. Why? Why the usually cynical Philly fans going crazy over this? I wonder. Well, I think one thing for sure is the fact that they'd seen him, you know, for a lot of years yes. with the Nationals. They'd seen him go go into Philadelphia, do a ton of damage in that park. Um, and you know, I, I mean, Bryce, it, uh, especially the last couple of years in Washington, definitely had moments when he wasn't running out balls. Uh, you didn't see the full effort from him, but the guy, uh, absolutely. You can see the passion in those moments when he's fired up and he's completely into it. And I think, uh, I mean, we're still in the honeymoon period with he and the Phillies and there'll probably be moments when he's going to go into slump and then they'll have their issues like, <laughs> uh, like all, all players in Philadelphia, but I do think it probably comes down somewhat to that passion. And I do think, you know, uh, Phillies fans, I, I was told early in spring training when we didn't know if it was going to be Machado or, or Harper that would sign there, but some in the Phillies organization told me, look, if you're going to play in Philadelphia, you better get dirty. And we saw what happened with Manny Machado at the end of last year, which was the opposite of that, not, not running out balls. And maybe that's why on talk radio in Philadelphia – uh, you know, what John Middleton was hearing directly from fans, that they just wanted Harper, someone who they had seen in the past, he would get dirty. And it's uh, it's almost like hitting in Baltimore, isn't it? As far as if you put a, if you put a good swing on a ball, it's going to go out anywhere, it seems, in Philadelphia. It is a great hitter's park. It's got a great batter's eyes, what the hitters say. And for Bryce this year, he also is in the middle of one of the deepest lineups. There's no doubt about it. When you, you know, you can have an Andrew McCutcheon leading off, you know, with a 360 on base, and then your number two is Gene Segura, who they uh, acquired in a trade from the Mariners in the offseason. The guy's going to give you 180 hits. And then you have Bryce and Reese Hoskins and JT Real Muto. Uh, and then, you know, all the guys who were at the top of the Phillies lineup last year are now at the bottom. Reese Hoskins said to me at the end of spring training, and because I asked him what's it like hitting behind those guys top of the order, he said they got to pitch to somebody, and uh, and you know it's clear that in these first games that all these guys in the lineup seem to understand, except maybe a double Herrera, that the depth of the lineup uh, gives them the ability to just take pitches and not worry about you know, being aggressive and not feeling like they have to do it and, and forcing opposing pitchers to pitch to them because they're taking a lot of walks. We saw that in that first series against the Braves because they can trust the guy behind them. Uh, Rio Muto, um, they might, Bar- Bryson might not be the best player they picked up, though. It might be the catcher. I would agree with that. Uh, and look, even if they hadn't gotten Bryce, they would have had big upgrades because yeah. they got Andrew 
uh, and David Robertson, and, and Segura's a really good player as well. But I agree with you. I mean, Real Muto's the best catcher in baseball, um, and there's no doubt about that. He's terrific offensively. He's terrific defensively. The guy even runs pretty well for a catcher. Uh, he's completely into it. He's so fired up, uh, you know, in, in, since he joined the team. I've heard great things about his preparation there. He's probably going to make that staff better as well. You saw that great throw that he made the second yes, base last night. Yes, I was going to mention that. Unbelievable. Yeah, ter- terrific. And, and uh, you know, he's got the fastest pop time since they started tracking those things. 1.36 seconds, I think, on a throw to third base uh, to cut a guy down. He's the whole package, and he's the guy batting behind Reese Hoskins now. So uh, we watched the Twins play Cleveland here, and boy, uh, if I was Terry Francona, I would be upset with uh, with Tag to keep that pitching staff, that starting rotation, and let the lineup be what it is right now is ridiculous. Uh, they could have taken their a good last shot here at the World Series. That said. Uh, there's a little different trend going on here anyway. There's a lot more guys swinging early. Is that uh, you, you said the Phillies are taking a bunch of walks, but uh, I see some clubs that are letting them go for it in the first two, three pitches. Yep. Uh, hunt fastballs. Look for fastballs because, uh, you know, in uh, 2000 to 2010, when they, especially when you see the Red Sox and Yankees play, it was always wear down the starting pitcher, make them throw a lot of pitches, get to the belly of the bullpen, the soft underbelly yeah. of the pitching staff. Now, forget it. I mean, teams, and I had players say this to me, there's no there's no incentive in doing that because yeah. the next guy coming out of the bullpen throwing harder than the guy who just left. Um, and so you are seeing hitters uh, be really aggressive and hunt fastballs. And I had uh, had a, a really cool conversation last night with longtime catcher Sal Pasano, who's on the Braves staff, and he talked about how Look, this generation of hitters now is getting better and better and better at hitting velocity uh, because they're seeing it more. And so a guy who, you know, is throwing 96, 97, that's 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 meat right now for a lot of these hitters with the way they're hunting fastballs. As long as it's not at the letters, right? As long as it's down by the navel or lower. The high one, they don't hit much. And And that part's interesting because I actually, and I've heard this from Sal and other people, they believe that there's going to be, uh, in the game that goes in cycles, that all of a sudden those guys who throw like soft stuff at like 80 to 87, <laughs> they're suddenly going to come more into vogue. I was asking myself last week when the, the Cubs made that four-year investment in Kyle Hendricks, who's one of the slowest yes. pitchers in baseball, and my initial thought was, wow, he doesn't have much margin for error. And then I thought, you know what? he, he He's what... Throwing eighty five, eighty six. He's what we used to think of the guys who threw really hard, the outlier. Um, and maybe that's going to be an advantage. That's what I've heard from coaches. They think, you know, suddenly those guys who are really good with off speed stuff are going to be valued because the hitters are getting better at hitting velocity. Well, we had a guy here for four years, Buxton, uh, who basically let the first pitch fastball. He saw Joe Maurer hit. And he let the first pitch fastball go right down belt high to get 0-1. And he can't hit from behind in the count. And he got irritated because the Twins didn't call him up last September. And he went home and said, the hell with everybody. And he's back to hitting the way he hit, which is just to take a hack. And he's hitting first pitch fastballs, and he looks like a completely different guy, you know? And you love it. And the, over the weekend, I had a fun conversation with Andy McCutcheon of the Phillies um, who talked about that very practice. He said, look, 
and Andrew is a great fastball hitter. He said, "I'll just if if I see a breaking ball before two strikes, I'll just take it, mm-hmm. and I'll just wait for that fastball." And and look, the Twins lineup is improved in the way the Phillies lineup is. And and Andrew's theory was, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to swing at anything but a fastball. I'm going to hunt fastballs until I absolutely, uh, you know, can't be in that position to do that. And I think if you're Buxton. And the way that, uh, you know, he times has struggled, as you say, when he's behind the count, sometimes against breaking stuff, he should go after the first fastball. And it is a great, uh, you know, it is great incentive. And I heard early in camp about how he seemed to come in with a chip on his shoulder. And look, Patrick, you've been around him more than I have. You know him better than I have. When I heard that, I thought, that's perfect. Because yes. Buxton is such a good person. He's a respectful person. Uh, but I, I've covered a lot of players, so have you, who – that personality, that can become a problem because you are uh, listen to everyone that you talk yes. to, and it's better if he's like, you know what, this is who I am, and this <laughs> is what I'm going to be. I, I, I think that you see sometimes players like that go through that evolution, and that's how they grow. Well, he was, you know, when he was really struggling, one week Torrey Hunter would come to town and tell him to go back to the leg kick, and then somebody else would tell him not to. And he exactly. the, the best quote of spring training from him was, I don't need anybody to tell me how to hit. <laughs> so that was Ding, he, ding, ding. Yeah. I love that. And I love to hear that from them. You know, not everybody. Uh, you, you remember the uh, former Astros pitcher, Roy Oswald, had this funky delivery that he taught himself when he was 10 years old. And Roy's kind of an obstinate guy from a small town in Mississippi. He went to the Astros. They tried to change his mechanics when he was 18 years old, 19 years old. He began to get a sore arm, and he right away, he was like, the heck with all of you. I know my body, uh, and I think it's important for players to do that sometimes. Uh, you know, of course, one of the big knocks on baseball that the uh, people who don't like baseball love to tell us is that we, we don't have celebrities. We don't have the big-name athletes. I can tell you these big contracts have uh, probably changed that. I mean, I think more people are aware of Mike Trout, who are non-baseball fans than ever. They're aware of Harper. They're aware of Manny. Uh, And I think that uh, that could be a bit of a revival in the personality world. Even Trout doing ads. thats I can't believe I'm seeing Trout on ads. I totally agree with you. You know, and it's funny because last year when uh, when Rob Manfred came out and he was, you know, somewhat critical of Trout, basically saying, you know, you can't market these guys more than want to be marketed. I, I kind of laughed at that because I, the previous 18 months, I've been working on a long E60 profile on Trout, and he couldn't have been more accommodating. When you're around the Angels, Trout's always, yeah, sure, I got time for you. That's his personality. And all of a sudden, I think there is more awareness of him because, I mean, you saw athletes from other sports when he got that $426.5 million deal saying, hey, I'm looking for that. I think that does raise the profile for he and for Harper and, uh, you know, for Manny Machado. The funny thing is, is that with a lot of these contracts we're seeing, and I think even Trout falls into this category, these are team-friendly deals. When you look at the value that's uh, being paid to, the, to some of the best players in baseball relative to what their actual worth is to the franchises, the teams are making out like bandits, and I think they're taking advantage of the fact there's a lot of anxiety among the players to grab money now because they're concerned about what they're not getting in free agency. And 
it's another victory for the for the owners who are in a winning streak right now. What is Kimbrel waiting for? Uh, what what does he want? Four years? Four years? Uh, four a hundred yeah. or four or more than a hundred? Patrick, at the beginning of the winter, his agent David Meter was telling teams he was looking for a six year deal. So in essence, he was looking for the biggest deal ever for reliever. You know, the previous marks had been around eighty five million dollars. Aroldis Chapman and Kenley Jansen, and teams that I talked to were like, nope. We're not going to do that because they had seen Kimbrell uh, struggle at the end of the 2018 season. You know, you didn't know if he was completely healthy or if he had the yips, but he was struggling to find the strike zone. Um, and Kimbrell is still waiting. Now, I will tell you that in his case, you could uh, make an argument. I don't think it's a great argument, but you could make a, a philosophical argument that at this point, now that we're into April, might be worthwhile for him to stick around until after the draft and to stay unsigned until sometime in early June, because once he gets past the draft, and he won't have draft pick compensation attached to him. Uh, and on top of that, there's no question: the months where relievers have the most value in the trademark are June and July. And maybe if uh, Kimbrel waits to sign, there'll be some contender that'll say, you know what, rather than give up the two prospects to get that uh, elite reliever from another team. Let's just go out and spend money and sign Kimbrell, and now we don't have to give up a draft pick. I don't think it's a great strategy. I think he probably should have gotten his best deal in the wintertime. But as we sit here today, I would not be surprised if he winds up waiting a longer. Well, if we get to June and the uh, Red Sox uh, re- realize that they uh, screwed up their bullpen, <laughs> that uh, maybe maybe he could go back too. Although uh, the Red Sox, I don't think, want to get over that uh, luxury tax even more than they are. So. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see where the Red Sox are by then because I, I got to tell you, my first instinct when I heard, uh, you know, about that, uh, the money they have spent, you know, Chris Sale getting $145 million extension over five years, what I heard a lot from other teams was, wait, they why, why wouldn't they wait and see what he brought to the table on the mound in April yes. and May because he was so regressed at the end of last season with his velocity from – Instead of being 98, 97, which he was in early August, he was throwing 88 to 90. And I saw the Red Sox on opening day. Patrick, that is moving forward. It's going to be one of the most watched stories. Yeah, I, I was shocked myself uh, uh, because of that. I was around the Red Sox a little uh, this spring and uh, them being in Fort Myers. Uh, one last thing, that Alex Cora might be the best guy in baseball. What a, what a, what a, what a leader he is. Phenomenal, uh, and I, you know, been working on E60 on him. It's going to come out in about ten days. Um, you know, he, he he's someone whose life was shaped by his older brother Joey. Who, yes. uh, Alex's dad uh, died of colon cancer at age thirteen, and Alex, uh, you know, acknowledged at that point that he was kind of a lost soul, and and he wasn't that good in school. He went uh, committed to the University of Miami to play baseball. Went there for a month. And basically say, you know what, I'm going home. So he flew home to Puerto Rico, and Joey, who's 11 years older than he is, called him and basically said, in so many words, without adding the <laughs> get back on the plane. And he told him, if you don't get on the plane, I'm going to fly back. He was playing minor league ball at the time, and I'm going to grab you by the neck and put you on that plane. Uh, and the relationship and the bond between those two guys is so strong. Uh, and and Alex, the first person to say, you know, Joey has so much to do with where I am now. It's a, it's a, he's a great person. 
and it's clear that the players understand he really cares about them. Buster, thank you very much. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, sir. Thanks, Patrick. All right, uh, the great Buster Olney, uh, ESPN and ESPN.com. He will be with us uh, every other week on, uh, what are we calling this thing, Manny? Ricey on Baseball. Ricey on Baseball. Ricey on Baseball with Manny. And uh, next week, uh, Tom Kelly and Tim Kirkjian will be our uh, guests on uh, the weeks that we don't have Buster. And uh, that's uh, you know we we got the we got the crew we had uh, when we uh, were do, were doing the show last year, and we got, we had the baseball best baseball talk around, and we're off to a flying start there with Buster. Well, the uh, Twins had a successful uh, first homestand. You know why? Why is that? Because they played all three games. I, uh, <laughs> uh, from from all the uh, all the screaming I heard up here in the middle of March, I wouldn't have given much chance for them to uh, be playing three games on March twenty eighth, March thirtieth, and March thirty first. I'll tell you what, Pat. There was a point in <laughs> early March, and you were down in Florida. It was looking pretty bleak. It was yes. looking like, oh boy, how are they going to pull this off? But then we got a couple warm days and. Melted well, away a little and, bit and, and they got, got the ball yard ready. It's amazing uh, what that new field can do to get rid of water. I mean, yeah. at Met Stadium, there was an area out in left field that if it got wet, and, you know, when spring started, it was always wet. But mm-hmm. if it got wet, wet, it'd be it'd be that way till June. You know, it, it, every time it rained, they had that low point out there, and they had a clay, too. They, they had kind of a clay surface out was there. Was this in center field? Uh, left. Left field? Left. One year it was so bad that uh, they put down a big piece of foam rubber, basically cheap turf, you know. Yeah. And they stuck it out there in left field for the left fielder to play. <laughs> that was the year Brant Allier uh, was the new Twins left fielder. In the first game he ever played in Chicago, he drove in seven runs. But Brant wasn't what you would call a gifted outfielder <laughs> or an interested outfielder. <laughs> And he basically didn't leave that piece of rubber for, like, uh, the first two weeks of of home games. He just stood on it because he didn't want his shoes to get wet. (laughs) And uh, he'd chase it, you know, but he would always start from there. Whether it was was Ted Williams, you know, what Ted Williams wasn't around, but whether it was the greatest pull hitter in the history of mankind (laughs) left-handed, he stayed on there. That's fantastic. Uh, uh, he was a beauty. I did a piece on him a few years ago. I got a hold of him on the anniversary of that seven RBI guy. Uh, one of my favorites, two two favorite stories on him. Uh, the number one is John Rowe is 1970, I think it was. at 70? 70, 71. John is the, uh, is the new beat writer for the baseball for the Star Tribune, for the Minneapolis Tribune. Mm-hmm. And they're in Chicago for the season opener. And the Twins win 12 to nothing. And Brant Allier pitches, I mean, drives in seven runs. Jim Perry pitches shutout, but it's 12 to nothing, you know. Right. So there's about, it's the eighth inning, and Sid, Sid Hartman's with, the, with Rowe, and he said, hey, John, I'm going to write Allier. And, and, and <laughs> said, he drove in seven runs, Sid. I'm going to write Allie. It's his first game ever. You can write him, too, but I'm going to write Allie. He says, oh, no, you can write Perry. And uh, John told Sid to go bleep himself. So, But anyway, that's 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 what we've worked with now uh, to age 99 there. Uh, and the other one is 
The Twins are playing the Tigers. And at Met Stadium, and Earl Wilson is pitching. So this is before the DH, whenever it was, 71, 72 maybe. And Earl Wilson could really hit. Then he's, he, um, but Earl strikes out on a ball in the dirt. And he swings. And the Twins catcher, and I had to look him up. I thought mm-hmm. it was Batty, but I looked up to make sure. And then, oh, it was, yeah, it was in a period where Batty was still around. So it had to be, uh, you know, 70 maybe. Okay. Anyway, the catcher was Paul Ratliff, who was, a, so I looked it up. So he takes the ball on a short hop, and Earl has checked his swing or something, and takes it on a short hop and rolls it back to the mound. And the third base coach starts yelling at Wilson to run. because <laughs> So then all the twins are running off the field. And uh, so Earl Wilson takes off the first. Twins are still running off the field. They think he's out. He runs to second. Oh, no. He runs to second. He's still he's there. And now the guy says, come on over. So he gets to third. And now Earl's hauling because he thinks he can score. Yeah. And he comes running around third, and he pulls a hammy. Oh, no. He pulls a hammy, and he's laying there on the ground like 30 feet around third, and Allier's still jogging in from left field, and he grabs the ball and goes over and tags him. <laughs> oh, no. And the Detroit manager was a guy named Mayo Smith who loved the Twins' hospitality room and loved the whiskey. Yeah. And uh, he's down in there, and he's doing his imitation of Earl. And I remember, I remember, I would, I must have been doing a sidebar for the St. Paul paper. I wasn't a beat writer then. I was just in there drinking, and uh, <laughs> he doing this whole image, you know, skit of Wilson running around the bases. <laughs> and I remember him saying, "If, and if, if that bleeping Allier had been hustling, he would have made it." <laughs> <laughs> Because maybe Earl saw Allier running for the ball, and then he tried to speed up or something and pulled it. But I remember him saying, if that bleeping Allier had been hustling, he would have made it. It would have been an He said, my guy wasn't satisfied with a triple. He wanted an inside-the-park home run. Anyway. That's, that's yeah. hilarious. I would imagine the, the whiskey was probably consumed a little extra that day. After oh, yeah, Earl. Well, it was a Saturday. It must have been a Saturday day game because uh, those things had a tendency to last a while. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, yeah, and not a lot of the manager Weaver would drink in there, and a lot not a lot of the managers would. Martin would drink in there, and mm-hmm. and Mayo was a real character. He's a guy. I think he managed them when they won the World Series. He was managing the one won the World Series in '68, though. Okay, when they were behind uh, three games to one, and Mickey Lolich won Game Five, Game Two, Five, and Seven. He pitched two days rest and beat Gibson, who was pitching mm-hmm. on two days. I think Gibson, Gibson was pitching, pitching on, Game Seven. I think Gibson was pitching on two days rest Cardinals. too. Okay. Mickey Lolich had a gut on him like me, but he could uh, he could pitch a little bit. Anyway, the uh, baseball season is upon us, and uh, one of my uh, one of the stories I keep watching in baseball is what a really good baseball town Milwaukee. Milwaukee, of course, yeah, in the fifties, and the was the greatest. You know, they got the Boston Braves in '53. They became the first National League team to ever draw 2 million people. 
they packed it in, and they were great. You mm-hmm. know, they they had Henry Aaron. The old Aaron county stadium. And had, yeah, and they had Henry Aaron and Eddie Matthews and a bunch of all of Warren Spahn. And, yeah. and they should have went to the ball games, right? But they they were immediately good, so they kind of spoiled their fans. And then mm-hmm. in the 60s, attendance dwindled some. It was still good. They never had a losing season in 13 years in Milwaukee, but they had an owner, the same guy that moved them from Boston, was a guy named Lee per- Lou Perina, and he got offered a big TV contract to go to Atlanta because the South didn't have a team. Yeah. The Cardinals were the South's team. Sure. So he got up and pulled out, and they were only there 13 years. Wow. And then Bud got the team back in 70. He got the Brewers back when the Seattle Pilots lasted one year in Seattle, and then and then uh, they 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 moved to Milwaukee in 70 and they drew for a while and they of course drew great in 82 and around that area mm-hmm. but they weren't drawn for diddly at the end of county stadium and they 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 went over two million their first year in the new ballpark but they were not drawn much and i mean a million and a half million six mm-hmm. was county stadium was that a good it was ballpark Sta- early it on? was met stadium was it it was okay. met stadium a little better but mm-hmm. a little bigger but not uh not same same thing. Not much different. But uh, and then uh, they when the new owner came in and signed CC and took a shot at it, it's yeah. like everything changed. And they've I think the lowest they've been in what now 12, 10, 12, 10 or eleven years is two point three million, and that was a year that they won sixty eight games. Yeah. Because CC uh, was there in 08, I think, right? Because yeah. then he signed the signed yeah. a big deal with the Yankees that yeah. that week. But they've, uh, you know, they've turned into a hell of a town, man. Yeah. They had 150 thousand for the Red Sox, the Cardinals for four games, and uh, they've yeah. uh, they've uh, really done well as a baseball town. I've, there. I've been to a game at Miller Park. It's, it's I, I I prefer Target Field over it. But yeah, I do uh, too, but I like the idea you're going to play. Yeah. Now uh, that's that's good, and it's you know it's worked out well for them. You know, it's been great. And, uh, you know, the idea that uh, that it's all Packer fans is, uh, you know, I'm sure the Packers are preeminent even in Milwaukee, but they've turned into real good baseball fans. Now they got the Bucks too. They're competing with the Bucks. Yeah, and the Bucks got a new arena now. Yeah, and right. good with Giannis and, yeah. You know what? It wouldn't be bad to be in a town that only had two sports teams, would it? <laughs> no hockey. <laughs> no hockey. I could go with no hockey. It's just mm-hmm. annoying. You got to watch a game at three. You think just baseball and football? Baseball. Well, baseball and basketball. Sure. The Bucks and the Brewers, and then you can have a football team that you can pay attention to. But you got a college team in a different town. You got a pro team in a different town. You only got to <laughs> spend your money on two sports and be fantastic. <laughs> Who can we throw out here? I don't know. I think uh, we probably. Well, uh, I mean. Ziggy almost had the the Vikings playing in Arden Hills. That would have yeah. been kind of North Metro, and yeah. But well, that, that John and I uh, both agree that we should move the University of Minnesota football stadium and everything to Rochester. It would be, <laughs> you know, have have your own town. But I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, the uh, baseball season's off and running. The Twins pitching staff looked uh, pretty dang good. And uh, I find it uh, I find it uh, very interesting right now this season with the with the big signings and uh, 
a lot of uh, big personalities. And uh, it's just it's amazing to me that you know you talk with Buster about Kimbrel, but like Keiko hasn't signed either. No. And just I don't know. I know these at guys want to get paid, right, but at some my point, just take the one-year, twenty million dollar yeah. deal. You know, I mean, Keiko, I'm sure would get seventeen or eighteen. I don't know when Keiko when Houston offered him seventeen something. You know, the guarantee you should have taken it. Mm-hmm. You know, I wonder if that's what's going to happen now, though. If one of those those, those two guys, guys are probably they'll sign with somebody on June first, and yeah. you know, sign them one year deal, yeah, and that's a team that's gonna... a team that's going to have a better idea of where they're at two months into the season. Yeah, somebody and... will have to give them. You know, I, I, I have to give Kimball five million a, a month for four mm-hmm. months or something. But uh, yeah, at some point you got to. You can't just complain about what the market is because the market is what the market is. But uh, and you got to play. I would think those guys both want to yeah, play. Yeah, what, what you know, good does it do? do you what good does it do to sit here? You're not going to get more money. Although our guy Lance Lynn got a three-year deal, I'll be danged if I can figure that one out. <laughs> I can't believe it's pretty good the first time out too. Yeah, uh, but uh, I would not. Uh, I would not invest a lot in that. Boy, did they learn their lesson though on bringing in. Uh, Bringing in guys in, uh, you know, late in spring training, uh, mm-hmm. who are going to spend all their time in the clubhouse complaining that they didn't get the contracts they did. I guess those two guys were terrible in the clubhouse. You know, we didn't see Logan Morrison and, and Lance Lynn, Lance but Lynn, they spent yeah. a lot of time complaining about, you know, these, it, the owners are screwing us. And it's crazy because I was all in on both those moves, especially oh, yeah. Lance Lynn. They signed yeah. Lance Lynn. I was like, okay, good. Yeah. Let's go. Well, he's always know? known as this hard-nosed guy, but, boy, he was surly. You yeah. know, he was I, – I called Jack Morris. He was on a ski slope and interviewed him about – Hey, we signed another surly SOB, <laughs> and uh, he was all all for it too. But uh, I don't know. Is, hey, by the way, Jack is he is he off to Detroit? I think he's doing Tigers games. Is he? Yeah, I'm not sure if he's going to yeah, do some here or not, I but know. I think he's doing Tigers games. Yes. Okay. Anyway, we'll miss him. We'll miss yeah, his bubbly. Like per- he might be coming back. We could miss his bubbly personality in the press box. So that would be uh, bad. So, uh, Twins aren't home for uh, 10 days. We got the final four before that. Texas Tech will be your champions. What do you, you call it? Texas, Texas Tech. Tech. Um, I like their uh, they're hard nose, boy. I have a weird feeling that uh, Izzo and Sparty are going to get it done. Wouldn't that be something, losing his freshman and still uh, losing yeah. two guys and still doing it? You know, it's he's it's, already done his service to America. He doesn't have to win. <laughs> he beat Duke. He beat the Duke, and boy, I'm the only one who didn't want Zion here, didn't I? <laughs> I would have loved to seen Zion just not playing for Duke. It would have been anybody else <laughs> go, playing for go anybody anywhere else. else. Any of the other blue buds, blue uh, blue bloods. But, uh, All right, uh, Tuesdays, Ricey on baseball with Manny, and next week, uh, Tom Kelly and Tim Kirchhen, and uh, we will uh, have a good old time. Call it Duty Modern Warfare is here, and so is Mountain Dew. Roger that. Now you can unlock in-game rewards like only Dew can. Wait, what rewards? A Dew Operator Skin. Man, I love Operator Skins. Dual double XP, and even Call of Duty points. You're kidding me. Double XP and Call of Duty points? This is incredible. I can't believe it. Soldier, get a hold of yourself. Oh, roger that. Look for specially marked packaging and visit mtndugaming.com for details and restrictions. Open to U.S. residents 17 plus. Call of Duty points available on 12 and 24 packs and free 20 and 23.